because I'm on a live, I thought, well, today I'm going to talk about being on camera because this is something that I teach Side Creator Club. It's a skill that is really valuable because it allows you some flexibility with your marketing. If you can speak on camera, you have a number of different opportunities. And what I will say though, is that not everybody has to build this skill. Whenever I talk to people about their marketing, I'm really conscious that some of us have skills in writing, some of us have skills in speaking, then speaking on camera or speaking to camera might not be a skill that you want to develop. You might have those other skills and you've really worked on those. And so for you and your marketing, speaking on camera might not be your first priority, but if it is one of your priorities to become better at it and to practice and to have a few tools in your toolkit, I'm going to share a few things today that will really help. This is something that I decided quite a few years ago that I wanted to get better at and I threw myself in the deep end. I certainly didn't take it step by step, but there's definitely some things that you can have in the back of your mind that I can reassure you that some of those things that you think are fears and concerns about being on camera can actually be your secret weapon, which is super cool, right? Because you've actually got a lot already that you can use to your advantage that can make being on camera and presenting live, whether that be in this sort of scenario. So jumping on an Instagram live on your Instagram stories, doing TikToks or reels, or maybe it's YouTube videos, filming podcasts, and how do you come across interesting, animated, dynamic, have good energy, all of those things that make us want to tune in and listen to you regularly. Quick story. When I was growing up, I grew up in New Zealand and I've actually lived in Australia more than half my life, which is crazy. Now that I'm 40, I just ticked over the 21 year mark in Australia. But I grew up in New Zealand in Christchurch and we had a property that was an acre section, which for most people that was probably a bigger than normal section. Although growing up in New Zealand, you can imagine that you don't have to go far out of any sort of any city really to be a little more rural. So we grew up on this fairly big block of land and growing up, my parents, they grew tomatoes. That was our main business. And that was what sustained us. That's what I learned to do for my first job. I worked in our greenhouses, but we had for a very long time an empty area next to one of the greenhouses. And one day my dad realized that the grass in this pad this bit of a paddock, it wasn't that big, but living on an acre section, it was, it was big enough. He thought, you know what, I'm going to have to get control of this grass because this grass keeps growing and it's getting out of control. And while I'm trying to grow these tomatoes and make money from that, I don't have all day to be mowing lawns and mowing this grass. And it was getting unruly and out of control. So my dad had this ingenious idea. We lived in the suburbs, mind you. So we had properties around us 
our neighbors were not far away from us. He had this ingenious idea to go and get a sheep. Now, I don't know where you purchase one sheep from, but he did. He got one sheep and we called that sheep Johnny and Johnny was our pet. And I tell this story to Australians and they think it's hilarious because New Zealanders are always mocked for the amount of sheep that apparently growing up we used to play Trivial Pursuit, which is the um, you know, the family game where it's like general knowledge. And one of the questions is, does New Zealand or Australia have more sheep? And it actually turns out Australia does. But being a smaller country, we had to have something that was amusing. So the fact that I grew up with this pet sheep was funny enough in itself and the fact that I was a New Zealander. And anyway, after a few months of having this sheep, which was going really well, it was eating all the grass, you know, it was doing what it was supposed to do, it was doing its job, and we had lots of fun uh, riding on the back. We we're very small, maybe six or eight or something like that. We realized that the sheep may be, may have been actually a ram, not a, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> but anyway, the sheep got a little bit frisky and it decided that in order to amuse itself, or maybe that its paddock wasn't big enough, it was going to start ramming the side of the greenhouses, which were growing the tomatoes. And after a while, we're like, well, we can't keep putting up with this. What are we going to do? So unknown to me and my sister, one night in the middle of the night, and we had a really old car, a really funny old car at this time, my sister and I were probably in bed asleep. My dad decided to bundle the sheep into the back of the car. He said that when he went to the petrol station on the way out of the city, people could hear this sheep in the back of the car. He drives on out to the outskirts of the city we lived in and drops this sheep in a paddock. Well, this is how the story went, according to my dad. So I don't actually know how much truth is in this, but essentially the sheep got dropped in a paddock and we never saw poor little Johnny again. In fact, we don't even know what happened to Johnny. Possibly the worst happened to Johnny. It wasn't until we were <laughs> teenagers that my dad revealed this truth. We thought that, oh, Johnny had been dropped in some nice paddock, but actually I think that he'd probably gone off to, you know, a not so happy ending for his life. Uh, we thought that, you know, it was all sunshine and roses. And so that is the story of my first pet growing up. We also had a cat, and I'm not sure if the cat and the sheep got on, but my first pet was a sheep growing up. So pretty funny. Now, why am I telling you this story? Well, the first lesson in this story is that maybe don't get yourselves a pet sheep if you live domestically. Do it if you live rurally. And not every pet that you get is going to work out. We also had a rabbit at one point and that rabbit didn't work out either. We had to give the rabbit away. So up until my adult life, my history with pets was not great. So that's the first lesson is that not every pet that you get your child is going to be a great pet. You never know how they're going to turn out. And the second thing is that not all of your stories 
when you tell a story needs to be directly related to your service or have some kind of insight and value that is related to how you help people. A lot of the time when we tell stories, we think that a story needs to have some sort of insight or we've overcome some massive obstacle and it creates an insight at the end of the story and then we give them the lesson. You know, if I was to go back in time, I wouldn't do this in the future. This is what I learned from this experience. And now moving forward, this is how I live my life. Especially if we're a service provider that has created our service off our own experience or off our own history, maybe we've overcome something. And so the first thing about being on camera and being really interesting and and creating good energy for people is being able to share stories and stories do not have to always have some really deep and meaningful insight you don't need to be really funny either but having a bank of stories that you can share with people that can sometimes just like i did then and if you're listening to this on the podcast you'll be like where is she going with this but a great story is a really fun way to break the ice with your audience. And you'll notice that there's a lot of great speakers out there that their stories are often really wild and the way that they tie them into their speeches or their presentations is quite incredible. You think, oh, how did they get from there to there? But you're in stitches laughing and you're already having a really great time with this person up there. So whatever comes next in their presentation or their speech is sure to be good. So have a bank of stories, but don't feel like your stories have to be always teaching people something, always delivering some really deep and meaningful insight. Stories are, like I said, a great way to break the ice. They're a great way to help you connect with your audience. But ultimately what stories do is they show that we are humans. They show that we're normal humans going through all sorts of things. We've had all sorts of experiences in our life. And those are the things that people connect with and that then when when they think about us and they think about that story, it deepens that trust. And that is really one of the key things with speaking on camera is how can I come across in a way that I create trust with my audience, that I'm not just a moving, bobbing head where information's coming out and people are trying to understand it and digest it. You want to create an experience for them that means that they are going to trust you. It would be the same as if you were speaking on a podcast. And one thing I just noticed that Dan says here is that people always laugh at my useless stories with no point, but I always hold attention and sell them easily. That's the thing, is that once you learn to tell a story and tell it well, you can tell all sorts of different stories. And in fact, you'll be going through your life collecting stories that you can then bring when you're with people on camera. And so it can be really a lot of fun. It means that your speaking doesn't necessarily have to be something that's always 
really intense and really meaningful but an opportunity for your people to connect with you at a deeper level and I think that's what's incredible about, incredible about having this camera opportunity this ability to speak on camera and all of these ways that we can do it through social media is that you get that opportunity to create that connection at a much deeper level whereas previously a lot of people had to do this through words or through audio and so now you've got that ability for people to see you and connect with your facial expressions your body language and so that leads me into the next thing I wanted to do which was to debunk a few things that people usually consider to be obstacles fears challenges around speaking on camera got a few notes here that would be the other thing that I would say is if you're starting to do things like Instagram lives or podcasts where you're recording yourself is to prepare a few notes that's completely okay to start out with and have a couple of notes I generally always have a few notes because I want to make sure that I stay on track and that I have a nice flow to whatever I'm sharing and that I'm making sure that I'm hitting all the points now eventually you want to be able to do this with as minimal notes as possible so that your eyes aren't constantly looking at your notes and you're not able to connect with your audience but in the beginning it is completely okay I would say keep your notes minimal when I first started doing out I would write out the whole thing that I was going to say and I would speak it word for word ideally nowadays I think that you want to avoid that as much as possible and to actually bring in some of these things that I'm about to speak to is going to again humanize the connection that you have the way I wanted to approach today's conversation is really how can we think about being on camera as a way of creating more depth with our people and a way to connect with them so that they feel as though who they're connecting with is a human is going through similar things that they're going through is not up on this pedestal and creating this distance that in actual fact you can do a lot of things to to deepen that connection and being able to see your face first and foremost is one of the best ways to do it so the first one is for a lot of our clients who are in professional services or deliver a service that requires a certain standard a certain way that you should come across or at least your industry has always told you that that's how you need to come across and professional means that you might need to be presented a certain way but also the way in which you speak has to come across as professional <laughs> the saying the right words saying it in the right way all of that now I want to tell you that one of the best things that you can actually do to connect with your audience is to think about just relating to them as humans and relating to them like they are a friend but I think that what we try to do is that when we feel we have to be professional 
we start to bring in a lot of language from our industry and we speak as if we're speaking to someone else that's a peer, someone else that's another physio, someone else that's another doctor, someone else that's another coach that's been through the same level of training as us or read this, all of the same books. So we're picking up all of that industry language. And we sometimes refer to this as coach speak. And it's not anything against coaches or anything like that. But what we found over the years is that we would pull a lot of language from our industry. And to someone that wants to work with you, that can actually create a barrier because they don't always know what you're speaking about. And so to actually create that connection with someone, do your best to speak to them as if you were speaking to them in a normal conversation and don't feel as though not including all of that language or that industry jargon is going to make you come across any less professional because I think we we over index on that as being necessary and and under index on the fact that sometimes that can actually create a barrier and people don't understand and you don't always have people in your audience that are going to raise your hand and their hand and say what are you talking about i don't understand that term they're just going to let it flow and chances are they might walk away and go well that really didn't make sense i don't really know what they were talking about or i kind of felt like the language they used made them be up here and then i'm down here and you don't want to create distance with your audience. It's, it's really important and it's a really easy thing to do, especially if we're nervous. Think, what's another way that I can speak about this term in my industry or this concept in a way that, that is like basic and simple and people are going to get it? And obviously threading through the stories is one really cool way to do that. And that will often cause you to take out some of that language and create a more deeper connection. The other thing that is often a barrier for people when it comes to camera, and this is obviously something that you can also train. So I'm not going to get into specifics around how to speak, how to say certain things to create more connection. Now, when you see someone speak on a stage or someone that has spoken a lot, be that a politician, be that a teacher or some sort of coach or, or someone that's a leader in the industry, they've probably been doing that for years and years and years. What we started to notice in, in our work was that over time, a lot of people started to sound the same. And what you'll notice now with a lot of speakers on stage is that they're actually really embracing their flaws and things that they might consider obstacles. They might have a lisp, they might speak in a certain tone, they might speak really fast or they might speak really slow. And they're actually embracing that and, and doubling down on that so that they create their own expression so that people come to see them on stage and go oh that's what we come to expect from that person straight away we know that's you when you're on camera 
it would be the same as as if it was in your writing or it would be the same as if you were speaking on a podcast once you start to try and sound like everyone else and eliminate those things that you might perceive as flaws then there's nothing for us to really grab onto there's nothing for us in your what we call your character or nothing in your personality that really says i'm listening to ruby right now because i can tell that she's someone that uses her hands a lot when she speaks she comes in and there's like the bright eyes and and a lot of movement and that's that's my style and i've always been like that i've never been someone to stand there and talk like this it's always been quite dynamic so i've actually worked over the years to dial that up we need to dial them up because something happens with the camera or something happens with the recording when you're recording a podcast you think you're sounding really animated you think you're sounding like you're speaking really fast and it turns out that you're actually speaking at half pace and really monotone so sometimes we need to come to these experiences of talking on camera and take our energy and dial it up a bit and so if there's things about you that growing up you perceived in the way that you speak in the way that you're animated or not animated or the way that you move when you speak you feel like these things are flaws or that they're things that are not okay i would actually bring those things out more because those are the things that people are going to go oh she's just a human thank goodness like I'm not alone. I also speak really fast or I speak with a lisp or whatever it is. One thing that we try to do when we practice speaking on camera is we try to perfect it so that it sounds like Marie Folio or so that it sounds like Jenna Kutcher or so that it sounds like your favorite podcaster. And they've actually worked to develop that themselves that's part of their own journey what you want to do is to carve out your own personality and your own expression and have it be something that you can do time and time again after a while it's not draining you to increase the energy or to bring out more body language but that that feels naturally you what we can do is we can start with those things that we've already got we can start with those things that we perceive to be unokay and that's that's actually taken from a lot of the sales training that we do the sales coaching inside creator club we studied under a, studied the work of a guy called Jim Camp and he's a negotiation coach he used to negotiate big deals for companies but also the FBI and things like that can't even imagine what sort of negotiation scenarios those guys have found them in often like days of negotiating and so there's a huge psychological element to this a huge ability to understand human behavior and how you speak and come across in those settings is so important one of the things that he noticed as a negotiator is that to bring himself down to a similar similar level to the people that he was negotiating with was to bring out some of those things that he might have considered flaws so not to be a perfectly polished person on camera not to be the perfect rehearsed staged 
negotiation coach, but to actually be like, you know what, I'm human like you too. And I'm not going to, going to change. I'm going to lead you in this, but I'm not going to change these parts of myself. I'm actually going to be a little bit unokay. And so he calls it unokayness. And so that would be my second tip is to look at your speaking, practice being on camera, think about how you naturally are. Think about those little things that sometimes people might go, oh, that's so funny, or you always do that and go, you know what, that person's right. I'm gonna take that little thing that I do. I have the claw hands sometimes. I have like a lot of like fingers going everywhere. I'm actually gonna do a lot more of that because that's gonna be going to be my personality. Okay, so unokayness, that's your second thing. The third thing I think that a lot of people worry about is not being interesting. So what I said just then and the storytelling, those two are great starting points to becoming more interesting and more engaging on camera. But I think this forgetting my words, not being interesting, not knowing what to say is, is a really big thing because you turn on that camera, you turn on that Instagram live and you're like, ah, uh, what do I say next? <laughs> what happens next? Um, hi, <laughs> that's kind of what it feels like because you don't know if two people are going to show up, 10 people are going to show up, 50 people might show up and then suddenly you're overwhelmed or you're in an audience and you like look out and you thought, ah, oh, hang on a second, I don't know if this is where I'm supposed to be, what do I say? So that is a real fear, totally, totally get it. And I mentioned before, that back in the day I threw myself in the deep end with practicing being on camera. One of the things I did, and it's so funny because I feel like this is a bit of a graveyard for me now. I'm someone who likes to be quite consistent. If I take on a project like a podcast or doing these lives, I like to be consistent with them, but there's a bit of a graveyard and it's my YouTube channel. I started this YouTube channel probably five years ago now, maybe a little bit more than that. And it's hilarious. In fact, I put a little comparison clip up on Instagram last year and talk about monotone, talk about reading a script, <laughs> talk about no personality, no stories, <laughs> nothing, <laughs> and a whole lot of coach speak. It would be all of these things that I've just shared with you. I was doing and I was doing it video after video. It's taken years to get to the point where I can speak really confidently on camera. But those early days, I decided to do 10, 15, you know, go check it out, Dan, have yourself a really good laugh. <laughs> I, I, I think it's so funny. I actually mention it quite a lot when I'm speaking now because I just think, you know, I want people to know that all of us have started somewhere and we all have a graveyard of content that we don't want people to go back and find because we want to come across as like the, the professional now, right? This YouTube channel, like I said, it was one where I thought I'm going to do 10, 15, 20 minute videos. I've never done videos before and I'm going to jump right in the deep end <laughs> and do really long pieces of content. I would say if you're a bit freaked out by being on camera, maybe a YouTube channel is not the first thing to start with. 
I would start with something that you can do quite frequently. The biggest thing with practicing anything is the practice has to be quite frequent in order for us to get better at something because what you're doing is retraining yourself to be able to handle being in a new medium. And I've spoken before a lot about nervous system, but the nervous system, it takes, uh, it, take, it causes a little bit of pressure on the nervous system to do these things. So playing with shorter mediums means that you're not exposing the nervous system to a lot of stimulus and a lot of pressure in a really, um, you know, you're doing it in a short space of time. You're not doing it over a 10, 15, 20 minute YouTube video when you've never ever done YouTubes. So I always say to clients, if you're going to start out with practicing on camera, it's to do short, short, but do it high frequency. So don't say I'm going to jump on my stories once a week or once a month. Jump on your stories every few days and speak to the camera. And then you might build up to a live or you might film podcasts if you're already doing podcasting you're already speaking a bit maybe that's another thing that you could do utilize something that you're already doing start with something short that you can practice really frequently that is going to allow you to be able to practice what short form what shorter time frame content allows you to do is to be able to think and speak sync that up because a lot of people don't have that skill. And what happens is that they're thinking and then that's when the, and a pause is okay. Pauses are actually great. I would embrace pauses and I wouldn't try and just say something for the sake of it. But over time, what you're practicing is syncing up that thinking and speaking, thinking and speaking. And especially if you're wanting to practice with very few notes or no notes, then over time you're going to get faster and faster at that. My biggest takeaway with all of this is that if you really want to do more video, create ways that you can make it fun for yourself. Because when something's fun, it's much more enjoyable to practice, much more enjoyable to come back. It means you're going to be a lot more consistent. This is a skill that if you can master, it's going to, to serve you really well for the future of marketing your business. Because as we know, a lot of stuff is going to video now. So it's a great skill to have in your back pocket, even if it's not something that you're using all the time. I will see you next week and thank you for tuning in.